Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I am your director of fun and games for the evening. Guys, I, we're just going to get right into the show. I'm going to do the intros, but this show, for everyone listening, has a very simple concept. We want to know if the Flyers are, like, actually good. <laughs> they might be. They might not be. It seems like they could be, but let's get right into it. Uh, I just want yes or no answers in the intros. Let's lead it off with Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. Steph, are the Flyers actually good? I don't know. Does anybody know? From TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Charlie, are the Flyers actually good? Yes, question mark. <laughs> That's what I keep coming on. Like, I did. So, like, I, I haven't been as consistent with the post games, but now the schedule seems to be normalizing. I'll be on them more regularly, but I got to say... I do a lot of these post game. Now the last game they won, that was great. You get the offensive explosion, beat up on a third string goalie. About time we got one of those for ourselves. Um, but like I-, I did some of these and they they lost, and I had like very few negatives. It's like yeah, you know, Carter could have been better tonight. Maybe they need to cash in on a power play opportunity. But like I, I- I've had very few complaints despite them only being three three and one. What's going on out there is. They're playing a different brand of hockey. We talked about that after the first game, first two games. They definitely look like they're playing differently. It's starting to translate to the results. What are, what's everyone seeing out there? Yeah, I think the thing that really just keeps that, that I keep coming back to, and and this is I, I expressed this in a column at the end of the uh, the back to back they lost in Calgary and Edmonton, and it's it came back up after they lost to Dallas, and then after they be, they beat Vegas, it you know it came back up kind of in another form. But it's basically this, and it's that if we were looking at this Flyers team from the outside, like let's say this was a podcast from a bunch of people in. Iowa who were hockey fans and we were we took a glance at the Philadelphia Flyers not having followed them for the last eight years not having watched every minute of every game we would look at what they've done and look at their numbers and look at their performance and look at the players and say hey these guys might actually be pretty good they might be figuring it out they got a new coach who's got a a track record of success they've got a bunch of young exciting players their numbers look good this team really might be good but we're us And they're the Flyers. And we've been burned so many times over the last five to six years that this is when they've turned the corner. They've called up the prospect. The kids are here. The drafts have been good. You know, they they had a, a great second half. We've been burned so many times on thinking that this is when they're finally going to be good. That there's very much a... You got to prove it to me beyond a shadow of a doubt. We're not going to... I mean, I'm a numbers guy. I love this stuff. I look at the numbers and I'm like, holy shit, this team looks good. But I still have that that in the back of my head that like, you got to actually win because I don't trust that the numbers are going to stay this good because the Flyers are going to the yeah. Flyers are going to flyer this up at some point, right? Like this can't actually be real. But if I take a step back and say, what would I be thinking if I wasn't a follower of the Flyers? If I was just some random dude in the middle of the country, I would be pretty confident this team is pretty good. So it's it's hard. It's hard to to it's hard to kind of hold both of those thoughts in my head at the same time. Yeah, and that's. I like that you reckon, like, will the numbers hold? Are the numbers real? Because yes. the numbers, while people will talk about what the numbers mean and don't mean, here's what I call them. Facts. Yeah. The Flyers are generating more scoring chances, more total shot attempts than their opponents by a pretty decent margin. The Flyers are holding teams to the fewest shots on goal in the entire league. Like, that is actually happening. Questioning whether it's real or not, whether it or whole, whether or not it will hold, that's valid. Some people seem to be just like, no, 
they're, they're not actually playing good. Like, I'm not, then you're not watching the games. Like, the whole watch the games people, no, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. Like, even when they lose, other than Calgary, they've, yeah, bad. they've played decent. I have heard, I didn't see much of the Dallas game. I have heard they took a ton of perimeter shots, though. I'm just having fun watching the game, like watching the team. And that's, you know, I'm not super into the numbers, but if I were to look at them, the numbers say all of the th- right things are happening. But also, I'm not physically in pain while I'm watching this team, and that's an improvement. That is an improvement. There is something to be said for just like that. Going back to the the second game of the season, the Jersey game, I'm standing up in my living room, like clapping as they kill a penalty, genuinely enjoying Flyers hockey for uh, the first time ever. Maybe I don't know. But Charlie, let's run through some of these numbers. Explain them a little to me. Tell me just exactly how good they have been. By the metrics. Sure. So it, it's really pretty much every metric is good. So like the number one metric that you hear cited by advanced stat people is, is Corsi, which is essentially just shot attempt differential at five on five. And then you can you adjust that for, you know, things like score, because obviously if you're trailing, you're going to outshoot the other team trailing a lot. You're going to outshoot the other team more. If you're leading a lot, you're going to get out shots. So that can be adjusted for. So by adjusted Corsi, the Flyers so far are first in the NHL at fifty five point nine four percent. Fifty six percent of the shot attempts are the Flyers. Yes, are the Flyers at five on five. So then there's the argument you always hear people that are anti-Corsi say, well, that, that, that assumes that all the shots are the same, and they're not. You know, a shot in front of the net is more dangerous than a shot from the point. 100% true. So then we came up with a stat called expected goals, which weights shots for location. By adjusted expected goals for percentage, the Flyers are a little bit worse. They're second in the league oh. at 58.08% behind, behind only the Carolina Hurricane, Hurricanes, who are like the advanced They are team. the team who yeah. are implementing... Like they're they're the Billy Beans of this thing. I think it's important to note that the Hurricanes are going to win the cup this year because they responded to one of my tweets about They're their, good. They have good social media. They're they're boys that just went for ice cream and Douglas Hamilton has friends now. So That's good. It makes my heart happy and the Canes are winning the cup. Go jerks. I do I do I do root for Dougie Hamilton cuz I want to believe everyone I just want him to on, have friends. Every one of his teammates has been the asshole and he's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to believe. I just want him to have friends and, and he's found friends. I hope so. Whether or not he has friends, you're confirming he does. Whether he does. or not he does or not. Like this dude is they, turning they into have, like a, a, a superstar. They have he has friends. They all have those electric scooters <laughs> and they eat ice cream together. They take is, pictures this, with dogs. Oh, so and, many pictures with dogs. Yeah. Let's save the hurricane content for ice sport. Let's get back to this Flyers team, though. But as we we're saying, so, second so, yeah. expected goals for behind the Hurricanes, yeah. who are the team that's like leaning most heavily on analytics. Yeah. So second in expected goals, first in Corsi, and then going into special teams. I know, you know, people, as I posted on Twitter a couple days ago, like, this is the most complained about good power play in hockey. Like, yes. they, they, they've scored on like 30% of their opportunities, and nobody does anything but bitch about it. But. They average the most expectacles four per 60 on the power play so far. So they're leading the league in scoring chances created thus far this season on the power play. And then the penalty kill hasn't been bad either. It hasn't been as good, but they're 11th in basically expectacles for expectacles against, expectacles allowed. So, like, they're the best by Corsi. They're the second best by expectacles. They're the best power play chance creation team, and they're an above average penalty kill chance suppression team. Like, these aren't just good numbers. They are great numbers. And yes, we are seven games into the year. But this team has rarely, if ever, since we started doing this podcast, had a run of even seven games that everything has looked this good by the numbers over the course over the course of seven consecutive games. Which again goes back to this point of if I was looking at this team from the outside, I would be like, holy crap. This Flyers team looks scary, but because we watch the Flyers and because they've killed us so many times, you just it feels like we need to see more, even though I don't know how fair that is. But at the same time, it also might be the most fair thing in the world yeah. because they're still the goddamn Flyers. Yeah, no, like if the Flyers got moved to Seattle and we got an expansion team and through the first seven games, these were, this is what they looked like and we didn't have all that All bias. the baggage. Yeah, yeah all, the bi- all the baggage. Like, we'd be sitting here going, they're playing well. (laughs) 
the one thing that's been a little disappointing, I like, and it's I I get it's 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 been the goaltending a little bit disappointing. Uh, I just wanted to see Carter Hart come out and like shut out every team. Yeah, but it'll, I'm sure he'll turn it around. He will, and that's where some of the like you don't you you outplay a team and don't get the results. Goaltending is a random chance. It turns out, so um, I, I expect him to be fine. But Elliot's looked good in his place. Uh, he has, which has actually been a little bit surprising. Um, given that I thought that he had one foot in the coffin, but no. you know, Elliot's been good, so gonna, I don't mind him getting some of these starts. We're going to get into that uh, that workload management question in a little bit, but before we move on from this one subject, I just want to people keep telling me that the defense hasn't been good, and I just want to know if I'm missing something. They're they're allowing 27.3 shots against per game. That's best in the league. They've given up three, zero, two, three, six, four, and two goals. That's three or fewer in the course of regulation five out of seven times. Charlie pointed out their success in the advanced metrics. Does anybody have any complaints about the D? I want ghosts to score, but like people are talking about in the defensive zone. Do you have any complaints? No. So, but no real kudos either. Yeah, I think, and this is something I'm working on an article that hopefully will be out sometime next week that kind of dives into a little bit of what the Flyers are doing under Elaine Vigneault with in terms of systems, and it definitely seems like, and this if if this is actually what's going on, which I think it is, it makes all the sense in the world. It seems like the success of this team at least in terms of how much they're controlling the play, is largely being driven by the forwards. In terms of what they're doing on the attack. You know, it, it's the forechecking, it's the offensive zone possessions, it's what they're doing in the middle of the ice to break up rushes before they even start. And a lot of that has been on the aggressiveness and the effectiveness of the forwards, which, again, makes sense because this is a very deep team up front. We talked about it in the offseason that you add Kevin Hayes, suddenly you have two you have two lines that are legitimate top six lines. you got James Van Riemsdyk playing on the third line. You had Jake Voracek playing on the third line. You have useful fourth liners now like Michael Roffel and Scott Lawton. Like This is a deep team that actually can attack and attack and attack. So I think... Part the reason, and I do agree with you, Bill, that I don't think the defense has been bad. But I, I do think that a lot of the team's success has been driven by what the forwards are doing, not necessarily what the defensemen have been doing. And I think that might be contributing to why the perception has taken hold in some corners that the defense is playing bad. That's I'll, I'll agree. And it makes sense. Like, look at who we have at forward. Like, we have Sean Couturier, one of yeah. the best two-way centers in the league. We have Kevin Hayes, who's Sean Couturier light. We have Oscar Lindblom. Like, we, a bunch of guys who are good at this stuff. It makes sense. And for years now, I've been saying, like, if you're in the defensive zone, you've already lost – because one, goaltending is random chance, and two, defense is illegal. Yeah. They don't let you do any of the shit you were allowed to do to deny teams any to deny scoring chances anymore. You either have to block a shot or get scored on. That's what happens. The only way to play effective defense is to do it the way they're doing it. Denying zone exits, shutting them down on the rush, doing things like that. That's team defense to me. I I yes, I some of the defensemen could make better decisions in their own zone still, but if you're never there, it's not a problem. That's my thought, too. Like they're not, just not getting stuck in their zones that frequently. Guess what? Shane Gossespierre, never going to be great in his own end. And that's fine. You know what? I don't want him to be. Yeah, that doesn't matter because I don't want him playing there. Go get the puck. Yeah. Get it out. Go yeah. score. And, and I think a lot of this, is too, is just a function of the fact that, you know, we talked about how great the numbers are. The fact is they are still 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. Yes. And, oh, and, definitely. And, and, and the way you lose games is by Those giving breakdowns. up goals. Yeah. So when there's breakdowns, the defensemen are the guys that are easy to blame. Like, I don't know. I mean, let, let's go through the defense. There have been people who have yelled at Ivan Provorov so far this year. I think Provorov has been great, but I guess he's made occasional mistakes. He's had a couple turnovers, and for some people, that's six in their head. Justin Braun got killed by Connor McDavid, and he's had some turnovers. You would think that Connor McDavid is some... The way people are talking about Braun on that play, you would think McDavid is some bum, not the best player potentially ever. Like, I, I don't... Listen, yeah, if Michael Roffel did that to Braun, you'd have a problem. But it's the fastest functional skater in the history of the sport. Ever. Uh, like uh, against a stay-at-home defenseman, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what anyone, let alone I, 
I, I I don't disagree. I will. I do believe though that it's like it's not just that play. Though yeah. I though I do think that, but Pete, that sticks it, in people's heads. When it heads. gets pointed to, I'm like, no, that doesn't count. That doesn't, yeah. It was Connor McDavid. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't count. fucking count. Sorry. No, you're totally right. It Come up with count. another example. But so you you go through those two guys. I think Travis Sanheim can be better. I don't think he's been bad, but I think he can play better. I actually thought he had a very good game against Vegas. I thought he was very active. He was creating as much as I want to see Travis Sanheim create. He stood Sanheim out for the first time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Matt Niskanen, I think, has been very good, but I think that there are still a lot of people that have a negative... Yes. Like, they're already they're negatively predisposed towards Matt Niskanen because they didn't like the trade that brought him in. So it's going to take more than seven games to convince them that Niskanen is actually not cooked. So there's your top four. Robert Haig is Robert Haig. Like, yeah. yeah, Phil Meyer should probably be playing over him. It hasn't mattered so far. Might it matter, you know, in a month? Yeah. But right now, it hasn't been a big deal. He hasn't been terrible. He hasn't been great. He's Robert Haig. And then Shane Gosper hasn't scored. So, like, you're looking at the defensemen, and really, there's no one who you look at, aside from, in my opinion, Ivan Provorov, but that's not a consensus opinion. Mm -hmm. There's not anybody that's, like, blowing you away. And I think, combine that with the fact that there have been breakdowns that have led to goals, and that leads to this perception that the defense isn't playing well, whereas in reality, in terms of team defense, they're playing pretty damn well. in reality... They gave, like, oh, man, there was one breakdown and they scored. It's like, that's the only scoring chance they yeah. gave up this period. Right. Like, I realize, yes, that's bad. But, uh, you know, when we had nine scoring chances and they had one and they happened to score and the game is tied, I, I don't know. The other goalie's playing well. That's just the way it goes sometimes. And I you run into hot goalies sometimes. Yeah, that's we, okay. We seem to run into them, like, listen, twice a week, but I don't know. Listen, uh, they're 3-3-1, three, three and one, yeah, so, I, like... Yeah. Once a week. Yeah. Charlie did say, like, I, I, I believe that as a unit and individually, the defense could be playing better, but I don't think they've been bad. That's yeah, what I've I agree been, with that. That's like what I've been saying. Like, I don't see bad. I see room for improvement, yeah, but and, and it's actually it's on the positive side. Really, it should kind of be exciting that, like, they're putting up these numbers. And the defense hasn't been great. And, yeah, and, like, Shane Gosper has been not nothing special, and Travis Sanheim has another gear. Like, these are two of your... Th- three most talented defensemen and they're not playing amazing and they're still crushing the other team in terms of shot difference like that's pretty cool it is pretty cool let's get to the uh, I guess the headline of the week the Flyers made some call-ups Mikhail Vorobiev returns to the lineup after Mike. his uh after his time Misha. after his couple of stints last year and Joel Farabee. On the night the Sixers return. That's right. We have our own Joel. The real Joel. We have our Frisbee. The real Joel. The real Joel. I'm so happy that this happened. So on, on a couple different levels. So first... Yay. Like, yay yeah. for Joel Farabee. This is amazing and awesome for him. And this kid has earned it. Two... All right, Vorobiev, like, we'll give you another chance. I'll like take this, him over Bunneman. I will also take him over Bunneman. So three, Chuck, not our Chuck, Chuck Fletcher, realized that what we had wasn't working. And he, he recognized the areas that needed improvement and the places that he could easily and quickly improve those problem areas. And he did it. Yes. Which is awesome. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. That that's big. And just like that's big. The very basic idea that we've run through now ten times how well the Flyers are doing by all the metrics, but it wasn't resulting in nearly enough goals. So what do you do? Bring up the guy who has three goals in four <laughs> games. The simplest possible explanation. Yeah. Like oh. We're not cashing in on these chances. Let's get our goal scorer up here. It just makes sense. And, and you know what? Like, this and to is- do it right before, like, as soon as I'll let you charge. Just, <laughs> as soon as, like, oh man, two and zero. Everyone's excited. Uh, oh three and one. What the hell happened? We brought up some kids. Be happy again. Like, I don't know if they're doing it to placate the fans, but it has that effect. Well, you know what it is for me, and, and it's just it. it it seems cooler than it probably is because of what we dealt with under Hexall. Yes, yes. everything. Like, like th- that's what it boils down to. And it's not like 
I'm not a Hextall hater, but the fact of the matter is, if if Ron Hextall sent Joel Farabee down to the minors... And he had four points in four games, he wouldn't be back. Ron Hextall would just be like, well, my plan was to keep him down until January, so he's yep. staying down until January. Sorry, dude. And, like, this was one thing when I was doing my, my pre-research of Chuck Fletcher before they made the hire, but when I was pretty certain he was going to be the guy, and I did an article, like, four days before he actually got the official hire. That was something I recognized in Fletcher's track record that I liked, which is, look... Chuck isn't going to get everything right the first time, but he has the willingness to admit that, like, hey, that first idea I had was bad. Let me fix it, and let me fix it quick. And that's so refreshing after Ron, because Ron just did not have that self-awareness or whatever you want to call it to be like, hey, that big plan that I had, that coach that I thought was great, he's not. I need to change this. Like, you want to see Farabee go to the AHL and produce well, he scores a goal in each of his first three games. He was so good. Problem, like I, he's I, he's shown it. Like you, there is a zero percent chance if he had that exact same start and the Flyers had that exact same start, Farabee would. There is a zero percent chance he would have. Yeah, he wouldn't come up. I, I, zero. I, I went to the the game on Friday in uh, in Allentown. Um, and Farabee scored a goal. That was when he scored his third goal in three games, and it was. Did he just look like a it different was level stunning out there? How how much how like he did, did not look like he should be in that level At like 90. he was I was dominant that line he had like a 90% Corsi in that game like huh. they Brad tracked it and like I watched that game and I watched it and I said he's incredible he's dominating this game every shift they're in the offensive zone he's making plays he's doing little things right to get them forward and then Brad like I'm in, I was literally I walked to my car I'm in my car ready to drive back home and then I see Brad tweet out that he got done his tracking and Farabee was at 90% and I was like I knew it. Like, that is exactly what I thought I saw. And it made me feel so good that the numbers backed up. It was like, that's exactly what I thought I saw. That Farabee was just totally on another level in that game. And it was just nice that, like, Chuck was at that game. Brent was at that game. They watched the same thing I did. And then two days later, they're like, yeah, he's ready. So the only question I have is, do we feel like this makes Morgan Frost sad? I mean, I'm sure it makes him sad because he wants to be up. I don't doubt it. I couldn't figure out another way to, well, that's my, to phrase that. One of my next questions was going to be, when do we see Myers, who's picked up an assist in three of his first four games? When do we see Rubstav, who's picked up one goal and five assists through five games? And when do we see Frost, one goal and three assists in his last two? So, unfortunately, I feel like for them, it may take some injuries. That's, there's only so many yeah. roster spots. I get it. Yeah, I think for them, it's going to take some injuries, especially on the defense, because not only do we have all six on the ice, but we also have Moran hanging out in the press box. And they want to get him in. And they want to get him in. Um so it's it's going it's going to take a little bit. Uh for the forwards, you know, we've got Chris Stewart hanging out. Um Nolan Patrick due to come back hopefully soon. He was in in practice, yeah, non contact jersey. Full right? practice today, non contact jersey. Um so yeah, you know, it's hard to say what his exact timeline is, but he's at least making progress. I think yeah. the Parchidi article today, I hadn't I didn't get a chance to read it. I put the link in here and never actually clicked it. It was just said Patrick making strides. So. Yeah, well, I mean, he's you know, you're just looking for him to be yeah. doing more, mm-hmm. and he's starting to do more, which is good. But I agree with Steph in that these guys might need to wait longer. At the same time, and again, this goes back to what we we're talking about with Fletcher. If if one of Farabee or Vorobiev doesn't play up to par, they could bring you know they could bring Karsten Turinsky back. They could call up Morgan Frost. They could call up Kermit Rubsov. Like they are clearly not wedded to this particular mix of players, and it's very much like something you I better appreciate. you better prove that you belong. And if you do, and I hope these guys do, because particularly Farabee, but even Farabee up to a point, like I think they are good enough to stick. But they still got to do it. And if they don't, then the equation changes. So you don't really know. Myers, I think, will probably have to wait for an injury because as much as everyone complains about Robert Haig, like the defense as a whole is playing well, and they're not going to call up Myers when the defense as a whole is playing well. It's just, no, this isn't even like a, well, a forward-thinking organization would do it. No organization would do it. No, nobody would just take a guy out of the lineup when he hasn't given you a reason to. Yeah. Like, yes, is there a reason to just play the better player? Sure. But, eh, it's just not the way it goes. It's just, and, and you know what, there's, 
it's not even just like hockey man thinking. No, yeah, there's something to be said about, and this is like continuity. These are not, those intangibles. Not even just continuity, but like you know, somebody losing a job for no real reason. Like you want to, you want to have, and this is something again. I, I hate to, I feel like this is like Charlie criticizes Ron Hextall, but like day, but sure, I'll keep going with it. Like love it. There Roll just, with it, Chuck. There just was. One of the problems I felt like with the way Hextall did business and the way he managed the team was that consequences were not consistent. And, you know, some guys had to earn it, some guys didn't. And I think that sort of feeling of like, you know, rewards were just tossed out haphazardly and randomly, it it hurt. It hurt the organization. And that's why I think you kind of made this point on a couple shows ago. And the more I thought about it, the more I, I understood it. Like... I wanted Joel Farabee on this team. I wanted, you know, Nick Albee-Cubell on this team or German Rusov on this team. I didn't really think that Connor Bunham and Karsten Torinsky were the best players. And, like, Maddie Campbell wrote a good article on BSH basically saying, like, you know, you're, you're placing too much emphasis on small sample sizes. You're bringing these guys up because they had good camps and good preseasons, but they're probably not that good of players. But there's something to be said about rewarding guys for playing well yeah. when there's an open competition. And it you know it works. It works when you're then willing after four or five games to be like, "Okay, we gave you your shot. You didn't do well enough. Now you're going back down and we're calling up the quote-unquote better player." But there's something to be said about like dangling that carrot in front of a, in front of a bunch of guys and one guy scores the most points and it's like, "You know what? He got the job. He deserves it because he earned it in this open competition." And I understand why that has value in an organization because it tells then everyone in the organization that, hey, if I outperform that guy in an open competition, it's an actual open competition and I'll get the spot. And it makes everyone just a little bit more motivated because it doesn't feel like anyone's getting special treatment. It doesn't feel like anyone is just being gifted a spot. And I'd have a more, I'd have a, in retrospect, I have less of a problem with guys like Torinsky and Bunneman making the team because they were sent down so quickly. Because, I still have this feeling in the back of my head that once a guy makes the team, he's up forever yeah. because that's the way it was with Ron and mistakes were never were never fixed. And he said as much like when he talked about things like ten game tryouts, he'd be like, "A guy either makes the team or yeah. he doesn't." Yeah. Whereas like, oh, with well, this, like, right. yeah, Carson Turinsky had a bunch of points in in, uh, in preseason. He made the team. He earned it. Great. You showed the team that if a guy earns a spot, he's going to get it. Then after six games. He, he had one goal, he wasn't super effective, and Joel Farabee's killing it. It's like, well, you know what? You got your chance. You had your shot to prove you deserve to stay in the lineup over Joel Farabee. He didn't quite do it. Joel's coming up. And I like that because it makes it so this whole idea of a meritocracy, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter to the point where we're going to continue to stick with a bad idea. So with these two guys up now, uh, the lineup looks a little different. Uh, in the Golden Knights game, they went with Giroux between JVR and Voracek, Couturier with Limblom and Konechny, Hayes with Farabee and Lawton, and Vorobiev with Raffle and Stewart. If you had control of the lineup, what would it look like? What is your ideal lineup just with guys who are here? Seth, you want to go first? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Um, ideal lineup. So I guess this will kind of be a. Uh, I guess this will be a. Are we are we counting Patrick? Or That's are we the tough. Him out? The, the tough part is including Pat. We can't because can't. He's, he's he's on IR. Yeah, we can't not, include him. He, okay. Yeah, you can't put him. Okay, in, so, so we're we're leaving Patrick off. Um, that does make it tougher. So I, I'm I'm doing a mailbag. I'll have it out tomorrow on mm-hmm. theathletic.com. And somebody asked this question, but the question was with Patrick, what's your ideal lineup? So and that changes everything. That does change everything. Um, I, I feel like the, the the struggle here is that I don't want Giroux at center. But well, no, that's full stop. Okay, full full stop. I do not want Claude Giroux at center. The the but comes into the fact that like if Giroux's not at center, then Scott Lawton's your third line center. Which therefore means that you don't necessarily want to put a bunch of skill guys on Scott Lawton's wing because I don't think Scott Lawton would necessarily be able to take full advantage of them. Like, here's kind of what I'm getting at. My ideal lineup at this point, and this is this is assuming Nolan Patrick is back, is just give Nolan Patrick James Van Riemsdyk and Jake Voracek and let them kick the shit out of bottom sixes. Yeah. And then have Joel Farabee on a line with Kevin Hayes and Claude Giroux. Oh. Like, that to me, because my problem with the Hayes-Giroux-Voracek line is that, like, they're three really good players, and they're going to have the puck a lot. 
no one shoots. No, that's a bunch of guys looking to pass it yeah. back to each other. Like I was talking to uh, Dmitry Filipovic uh, over DM like a couple games into the season, Ooh. and uh, we were just we were just talking about the Flyers, and he was like, "Yeah, like I like that line, but what are they going to do? Pass the puck into the net?" And he's right. Like they're all passers, and Joel Farabee is more of a shooter, so I like him on that line. And if you can roll, like you give Nolan Patrick, JVR, and Jake Voracek, and just have them take apart opposing third that lines, that is a like, big a, beefy line. That like would be that. fun. I like that. And a lot. then your fourth, like and then too. the fourth line would be. I mean, I guess if you're keeping Vorobiev, it would be, you know, Lawton, Vorobiev, Raffle. Yeah, that's. Yeah. So what if? So we keep Farabee, Hayes, Giroux. And then the the Couturier line that I'm obsessed with. That stays with, together. Yeah, keep yeah. them together at all costs. Couturier. At all costs, keep I've, them together. I've moved on from demanding Couturier and Giroux be together. Absolutely this not. It's really good. Do not <laughs> fuck with that line. I still want to get back to it at some point, but while they're rolling, just yeah. let them let Keep them, them together at all costs. Um, what if we put Raffle at 3C? I don't think that that would work. I I never want Raffle anywhere but on the fourth line. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's his fair. prison. That's fair. I, the, I get it. A prison but, that he runs. He's the kingpin. No, in this I prison. I get it. But in in this instance where we don't have a Nolan Patrick, not saying that their talent levels are comparable, but their bulk is. Um, the beefy boys. The beefy boys <laughs> keep keep the third line just the beefy boy crew. Um, I just I, that's the like the idea of Raffle in between JVR and Voracek. Like I just don't think he can center that much skill. <laughs> Plus, like I, I talked to Raffle today about the wing center thing, and yeah, you know he he's as like any hockey player is going to be. He's like, look, I'll do whatever the coach wants me to do. I don't dislike center. I played center in Europe. I played center growing up, but. Yeah, I prefer the wing. I I can be yeah. more offensive on the wing. I have I don't think as much on the wing because I have to be worried about defense and keeping right. people in front of me and stuff like that. I, I I like where your mind's at, but I just don't know. How, I, I don't think he's any better than Lawton there. I that's think you're fair. dealing with the same problem. Yeah, that's fair. What, well, what about Vorobiev? That's interesting. That that's intriguing. I mean, I he's he's another big boy. Third line center, Mikhail Vorobiev. That's interesting. you know. Let's see. Let's give him something to actually work with now yeah. that you know he's. Kind of dead to me, but he's not. So this is his last shot personally on the Flyers, in my opinion. So let's give him some talent to work with. That's intriguing. Let's see what he can do. I think the the reason I asked is, one, I just wanted to get your opinions. Uh, and two, with with Nolan Patrick out, like the bottom six is kind of a... What are we throwing together tonight? Yeah, just like, waiting all right, for this waiting kind for of work. Him. Like yeah. I'm, and I'm. Listen, I'm, I, this is no fault of Elaine Vigneault's or anybody's. Nolan Patrick has a migraine disorder. It's the way it is right yeah. now. But to th- like, they have this depth, and everyone's playing well. And you look at the bottom six and go, I don't even know what I do with it. Like, there's a lot of options. I don't know. It's just I was like, I just hate Drew at center. That's I'm trying thing. to figure out a way to get Giroux out of center, and as long as Nolan Patrick isn't here, and as long as Morgan Frost isn't here, it's not happening. I'm I'm intrigued by this Verbiev idea. Right. It's it's an intriguing idea. Like I think the the most fun answer to this question, and like I don't, I'm, I, they're not going to do this, and I don't think they even should after Verbiev had a pretty darn good first game. But like the most fun answer to this question is send Verbiev down, call up Morgan Frost. Like, I that, had that that's thought. That's the most fun. I had that thought. Yeah. Let's let's do it. Let's try. But I mean, Verbiev hasn't done anything to get sent down. Exactly. Yeah. So who else? I mean, you could send Chris Stewart down. I don't think they're going to send. I, I I know there's talk Chris that Stewart like is an assistant that, that he's variable and yeah he is by in terms of the money he's making but like I just think he's the thirteenth or fourteenth forward yeah. all year. I don't think he's going down. Yeah. It's fine. I don't. He, it, it doesn't bother. He's me. played five games. He doesn't have a shot on goal yet. No, he's got like he's averaging like seven minutes a night. Yeah, I know. It's just he's like doing nothing. You think one time he could get a <laughs> shot on goal? He got an assist, uh, right? Yeah, he did. He got an assist did. on the raffle goal. I'm not going to complain about Chris Stewart. Things are too good to complain about Chris Stewart. Uh, one thing. Uh, a minute ago, you mentioned uh, Farabee. You like him with Drew and Hayes in because he's got that shooter's mentality. Yeah, I think you showed a clip of it, and it's something that just really stood out. Um, it was in your athletic article. Oh, okay, it was Farabee coming down on an odd man rush, and they, he's got options, but the option he takes is cut to the middle 
and rip a shot. Yep, yep. And I, I was love just like, that. yes! I love that. Yes, he didn't look to pass. He was like, nope, I'm the best option here. I have the yeah. puck. I don't have... Three things don't have to happen for a shot to get off. If I just take it myself, that's the shot. I was Amazing. just so freaking... It was such a little thing, because I was watching the game like at Chickies and Pete's from my job, and I was like, ooh, who was that? And then he turned around after the stoppage, and it was it was Farabee. I was like, I like that move. And then you <laughs> showed a clip of it in your athletic article. And I was like, yes, this is what I've wanted. This is it. It's good. Let's talk about some other guys who are shooting and scoring, though. Travis Konechny, four goals, ten points. Oscar Lindblom, four goals, six points. They are leading the offense, and they are leading the power play, the second power play unit. No longer the second unit. I think AV even said that's Kutz's unit. It's Kutz's unit, yeah. yeah. yeah um, Bill, Bill Meltzer tried to call it the second unit after in a question to him after the game, and AV stopped him mid-question. He's like, you call it the second unit. I call it Kutz's unit. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> Sean Couturier is your 1C, so like it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the Flyers have scored eight power play goals. Lindblom is two. Niskanen, Provorov, Konechny have accounted for uh, all, the, all those guys combined have combined for five. I know that it's very early in the season. I know that. But I picked Travis Konechny to be the player that has a breakout season, and I feel very smart and good. I mean, so far, so good. Yeah, he certainly Um, is right now. I mean, if you had picked Lindblom, too, that would have been great. Because look at these boys. Look at these boys! Yeah, the both. I love them. I love this line. I am obsessed with this line. I'm just, this is like a great, um, like for all the people like Charlie... I can just, like, okay, we have Sean Couturier, and yup, he's a 1C. And Oscar Lindblom, like, no, you don't know how good this guy is. He does yep, all these yep. little things. And then Travis Konechny, who's just, like, the most fun player on oh, the Oh, God, I'm in love with him. Fucking, I, fucking bonehead. Fucking bonehead. He's, <laughs> so good. He's amazing. Like, the shit that comes out of his mouth is so good. Half of it doesn't make any sense, but it's so good. <laughs> he's just, oh, God. Every uh, single thing about him is fantastic. He's, he's part of what is making this team a lot of fun. And you can see, like... It just seems as if he is, he's never not asserted himself on the ice, but it just seems like the team is taking on more of his personality. Like his role goes beyond scoring some goals every now and then. Give him a C. Being the third along with, you know, Couturier and Giroux. It's it's not that anymore. It seems like, I mean, he's got 10 points. He's leading the team. Give him a C. This is, this is Captain great. Captain Travis Konechny. But with, with TK breaking <laughs> out, with Limblom uh, being second on the team in points, we're seeing Hart, Farabee's up, Provorov's playing well. So I wanted to ask you guys real quick, who do you think is Hextall's greatest draft pick? So, so this is an interesting question because I guess here's here's my question. Because we just spent the first half of the show bashing That's the guy. True. We, we should give us so the we should yeah. We're happy. Balance. Be, balance. Yeah, we're happy because of the players he brought us. So here's my question. When you, when you say best draft pick, do you mean best player he drafted? Or do you mean like shrewdest pick in terms of where the guy was taken? And that's, that's the question because, I mean, Lindblom was a fifth round pick. He's got four goals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Travis Konechny, like, that's uh, the end of a really good trade. Like, you had to make things happen to make that pick happen. You got him late, and he turned out to be a great pick. Ivan Provorov might be a number one defenseman, you know? Carter Hart might be a top ten goalie. So, it's, I don't know. Nolan Patrick. Nolan Patrick? <laughs> Man, that draft is funny now when you look at it. Listen. I'm not blaming. Listen. I'm not saying anything bad about Patrick because it's he sheer too. When you look at the other guys drafted after them, it's funny that the consensus one and two aren't Listen. as good. Listen. He's amazing. Um, I, <laughs> I think this is a really good it's question. A good question. It's a really good question. I don't think that I can answer it. I, I'm just going to be – I'm just going to be really honest because – like let's you we've got to look at everything that's on the table here. So he didn't draft Phil Myers. Nobody drafted Phil Myers, yeah, yeah. and he went and picked him up afterwards. But which we still is don't know incredible. if he's incredible. He is. We're just stuck. We're just stuck. Farabee, incredible, but Farabee fell into their lap. Like he should have. He shouldn't have been on the board, and he was. He did get mocked to the Flyers quite a bit, though. Like, yeah, there was a lot of, but there was, was a lot the, of there was a the lot rain. of weird yeah. stuff happening ahead of the Flyers. Carter Hart. He was the first goalie tra- taken in his draft in the second round like that's 
And Hextall Amazing. said we weren't necessarily looking for a goalie there. It was just like, shit, Carter Hart's still on the freaking Right. Board. So, and obviously Provorov was, yeah. you know, great. And, I and was Konechny, screaming about him for a month and amazing. a half. Amazing. You know, Rupstov may even actually be a first yeah. round pick, which is great. Um, or he may, hold on, let me let me phrase that differently for the people who are going to be in my mentions because I phrased it awkwardly. He was a first round pick. He may end up playing with the talent that shows why he was a first round there pick. Um I can't I can't answer it. I can't answer it. This this would take probably a week of thought. Yeah. So I'm, like I can come back to you next week. There we go. We can we can follow up on it. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I would narrow it down to one of two. Um like Limblom I feel like is is the easy pick because he was the latest pick. Yeah. But in all in all honesty I don't know if I can say that just because at that point in the draft, you're just throwing darts. Like, it was a great pick. There was a lot of, like, hey, the Flyers might have just got the steal of the draft, like, when it happened. True. But I guess what I'm saying is, like, at that point, you're just, you're hoping. Yeah, yeah. and, And I don't know if there's, like... A ton. I mean, obviously, there's thought put into every pick, but at that point, it's like you know, I you know, I talked to like Brent Flair after the draft this year, and like the guy they took, Serdiuk. Like, I think it was because like there's they took him in the sixth round. It was like the 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 guy our scout in the queue was banging the table for him, so we took him. Like, I just don't know how much I'm like how much thought did the entire group really put into yeah. this guy more than just one dude really liked him. So to me, it's it's one of two guys, and I think I think I lean heart. For two reasons. Number one, I still, we don't know what Carter Hart's going to be, but I think he at the very least is going to be good, and I think he has the potential to be great. To get the one guy who I think legitimately has superstar potential in the second round is huge. And in addition to that, there's definitely a bias in the current NHL. Maybe it kind of got broken last this past year with Spencer Knight, but there's a bias in the current NHL in terms of the way GMs think against drafting goalies high. So for you to be the first team that takes a goalie in a draft, you're kind of sticking your neck out. Yep. Because no one wants... It's like the first team that takes a kicker in a fantasy football mm-hmm. draft. Like No one wants to be that guy because no one wants everyone else to be like, ha, I took a goalie early, that idiot. No, and if you were to line up the 30 GMs at that time, like... Not one of them would have had questions about Hart. It's just no one wants to be the they one. They don't want to do take it. a goalie exactly yeah. because everybody's like you shouldn't take goalies early. It's not the smart thing to do. And the fact that Hextall went and did it, and then Hart became Carter Hart, like that to me is that's that's a ballsy pick, and I like it. And it obviously looks like it's going to work out. The other guy who I think you can you can theoretically pick is Konechny because he slipped. And Hexall traded up for him. Yes. You know, he was. Connect me is he my went answer. He went and his got guy. that guy. Yep. And I think there's a lot to be said for that when a guy slips further than he should, and you're like, you know what? I can't let this guy slip any further. I'm going to get him. And he gets it with the proceeds from the Coburn and, Te- and Teeman in trades. Yes. Yeah. So, like, it was his full GMing on display. Good trades leading to good valued picks, leading to a guy who's actually producing, leads the team in points. My answer is Travis Konechny until, of course, Carter Hart's next shutout, and then it'll be then it'll Carter, be Carter. Hart. Like, like somebody like Provorov. Provorov's a good pick. Absolutely a no, perfectly but he, fine that pick. was consensus. But, but not even that. Like, Provorov's a good pick. Zach Orensky also would have been a good pick. Yeah. Miko Rantanen would have been a good pick. Timo Meyer would have been a good pick. There were a lot of players in that range draft. that yeah. would have been good picks. So, like, it was almost like it would have been hard to fuck it up. Yeah. You know, yeah, you could have. You could have taken Lawson Krause. But it would have been hard to fuck it up. Yeah, that's that was like the one. Like, he's just sitting there and everyone's like, just not him. <laughs> just like literally not him. Anyone like, I, else. Like, I was going nuts for Provorov for a month and I had a buddy who was like, nah, man, it's Wierenski. I'm telling you, it's Wierenski. And they're all good. Yeah, they're, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, so no, I, Provorov is great, but everyone kind of saw him being right there. Yeah. It's not like you had to do anything to get him. You I, just had to say his name. I just, as we're talking about draft picks, just one thing I would like to point out is that Matthew Strome was sent down to the Reading Royals today. Sorry, Kurt. He'll be, Sorry, He's Kurt. there to dominate. Um, you know, I, I, I think that it's interesting the way that this new leadership group is using the Royals because it's not necessarily just a dumping ground. I think they are actually using it as a development 
type of league. And, and that's different than what we've seen in the past. And Reading isn't that far from Lehigh Valley. So it's not like you're just putting them in the middle of the tundra and that's it. Um, and this is Strom's first year pro. Yes. So, okay, he needs yeah. a little bit more time developing against lesser competition. It's not necessarily a death sentence for him. I just wanted to no, I, bust Kurt's balls they, a little bit. They just have so many prospects. That's the thing. You're using the Royals, and I have no idea if Strom has looked good or not or whatever. He I don't can't know. fucking skate. I don't know. <laughs> I've, I, the number He's of times, an ice hockey player who can't fucking skate. Well, you know. I'm just like using the Royals the way the Flyers use the Phantoms, I think, is pretty smart. Like, yeah. We've been over this lineup. We're talking about all these guys. There's a lot of players on the cusp of the NHL in the AHL. If you can't get Strom the minutes he needs, if you think minutes are going to help him develop, well, send him to the E. That's just what you have to do. Which is fine. I don't like. I said I don't think it's a death sentence for him. We just, we discussed Pascal LeBurge a couple weeks ago, and it might be for him, but. He's had he's had a yeah. rough go at it, but I don't I don't think that it is for Matt. Strong. And and to be clear, like the Flyers aren't the first team that's doing this. Like, no, Toronto has been doing this for a yeah. couple of years. Yeah, using their their ECHL team as a legitimate developmental path. We've always heard it. We've always heard about it with goalies. Like if you have two and you want them both to get starting time, send one to the E. That's just the way it is. But I guess if you're gonna use it for your skaters too, it makes sense. Like it's a team. Yeah. It's a team that you have control over. Yeah. So all right, let's get to the. Uh, the goalie workload here. So Elliot is going to get the start on Thursday. He played very well in the win over the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. I got to tell you, though, I don't care if it's the game going into the bye week and then the first game out of the bye week. Brian Elliott should never start games in a row. Ever. It's not going to work. Yeah. I don't have a problem with Get it. Carter Hart back in there. Yes, but the last game was Monday, so they've had two days off. I don't care if there's a month. Right. Okay. I'm just saying I, Elliot's looked good. Carter Hart has a little shaky, so I'm okay giving him some time off. This being said, I don't know what the upcoming schedule actually looks well, like. They, they play Saturday and Sunday, so presumably oh, so- it's going to be one, one and one. I don't know if Hart's going to get Saturday or Hart's going to get Sunday, but he'll get one game this weekend and Elliot will get the other. Oh, so they're playing the Blue Jackets. And then the Isles. Okay. So three games in one week. That's probably a good idea. I mean, here's the thing. And, like, I guess this probably goes back to, you know, your personal opinion that Elliot should not have been signed in the first place. But, like, if you can't trust a guy to play three games in seven days once in a while, then you shouldn't have fucking signed him. I... Listen, I thought you could have gone another way, but looking at what was available, Brian Elliott might have actually been the best option. However, I don't think he's going to stay healthy if you play him too much. He but just I, isn't. But, like, again, play, to me, playing him too much is is playing him, you know, five out of six games or, you know, five times in, in, in a week. Like, I just... This... If a guy can't hold up for three and seven, then he's not... He shouldn't be an NHL goalie. Like, you're going to have to do this shit once in a while. And if you can't, then you shouldn't be in the league. So, I, I don't, I mean, I understand, like, you have to be careful with a guy like Brian Ella because he's had the core muscle issues because he's an older goalie. I get it. I'm sympathetic to that. The the starting the whole month of December thing under Haxtell was a goddamn travesty. But, like, you can't not, you can't be scared to use a guy if he's on your roster. You just can't. Or else he shouldn't be on your roster. I agree. It, this is just the situation they're in. I don't want... Uh, Elliot looks good right now. I want him to continue to look good so we have an opportunity to win the games that Carter Hart doesn't play. Because whenever any of our number one goalies have gone down, all of a sudden our seasons have gone to shit. Because uh, Neuvert's hurt, so we got to get someone off waivers. We got to do this. We got. I don't want to do any of that. I want to manage these guys to keep them healthy. And I just because okay, he looked good in three and seven, so let's give him two more next week. All right. Well, guess what happened then? But we're not relying on him like that. Like I, not I understand. No, no, but we're not going to. I can't imagine not with Carter Hart. We're not going to. And even if he does get hurt. There are a lot of other goalies in the system. Like, actually, there's a lot of other goalies in the system. Not like last year when it's like, well, we've got Cal Pickard. Can any of them, like, how much better is Barubi than Pickard? I don't know. Well, I would hope Lyon is better than Barubi. 
Right. So Lyon could be our Stolars who came in and and like did how good things. is Alex Lyon? We've seen him at the NHL level. He was he was decent. He was replacement level. He be, I'd say he'd be passable for, for passable. a few games. And but then, we still and have Carter, Carter Hart. Hart. Like yeah. that's the I, thing. We still have Carter Hart. I like let's it. let's not go all doomsday here because not, he's not starting one game. I'm not going doomsday. Yes, you are. I'm saying <laughs> that it leads to bad because. But when, it hasn't yet. We're we're seven games into the it season. It has. We've seen it happen in the but past. But this, this year with Carter Hart, it hasn't. I mean, they've played seven games. Carter Hart has started five. Brian Elliott started two. It seems pretty clear to me that Carter Hart is going to get the lion's share of the starts. And here, like, I guess here's my here's my issue with some of the concerns about Brian Elliott is like, People are going, well, what if Brian Elliott starts playing well for a long time and then they use him too much and he gets hurt? Like, if you're that concerned about Brian Elliott, do you really think he's going to play well for a long period of time? No, not a long period of time. Well, then he's prob- then, then he'll, he'll, he'll get three starts in seven days, he'll bomb the third start, and then Carter Hart will take the net back. And that's, I don't want him to bomb any starts. Let's prevent that. That's my issue. Well, so you'd rather Carter Hart continue to struggle? Yeah, let him play through it. He's good. He'll be fine. I'm just saying. I this goes back to what I was saying about about a meritocracy. I have zero problem with Brian Elliott starting starting on Thursday because he earned another start. When will the vets start producing? Because if there's one real question mark about this team, like Ghost has one assist, JVR 35 shots on goal. He's top 10 in the league, I believe. No points. Giroux four assists. Jake three of his four points came in the loss to Edmonton where they got blown out. What are these vets going to... Uh, this has been a slow-starting team under these guys' like leadership, and the fact that the, they're not producing and the youngsters are, and they look good, like that's encouraging. But when are they going to pick it up? Or is this... Are we starting to see the beginning of them being phased out as the most important players on the team? No, but I think that what we're seeing here is... Something that should give everybody hope in that secondary scoring exists and this team can produce, which is something we've been dying for for the past mm, forever decade. <laughs> uh, secondary scoring exists and Giroux can actually like put his feet up. He doesn't have to put the team on his back. And we're seeing a, a more complete team this year than we have in a very long time. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's certainly the positive. Obviously, the negative is that it would be great if these guys were scoring. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, they'd be 7-0 and if these guys were scoring, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, the, that's, you know? that's true. I, I did an article last Friday. Um, actually, I did it. I forget what day. I, 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 I wrote it when I was on my plane ride home from, from uh, Edmonton, which I don't remember what day that was. They all blend. Edmonton. But yeah, Edmonton. Um, but basically, it was going through all of the, the veterans who were off to somewhat slow scoring starts and just deciding which ones we should be the most concerned about. Steph, it seems like you want to say something. Did the plane have better Wi-Fi than Edmonton? Um... You know, it's okay. I, I'll, I'll, let me let me let me get back to this because I actually liked Edmonton as a city. Did you? Okay. I thought That's I thought nice. it, I thought it had a cool vibe, and like I couldn't take advantage of it because I was working. But like the Rogers Center is beautiful, and the area around the Rogers Center, they seem like they had like a couple like neat bars and stuff, and some neat restaurants. Like I don't know what the rest of Edmonton looked like, but that like bubble around the Rogers Center, it seemed pretty neat. I didn't love Calgary. I thought Cal- Calgary felt kind of sterile, but I liked Edmonton. I I just don't. I assume all Canada is the woods. So like I like when I went to Toronto, I was like, where the fuck are the bears? <laughs> <laughs> I want to fight a bear. I but, assumed uh, I was going to get chased by a moose down Main Street. Oh like God. no, this is like a city, dude. But going going back yeah, to the yeah, point yeah. I was making because I know we're we're running low on time. Yeah, whatever. Um I did an article basically breaking down all the veterans who were not getting off to great starts scoring-wise. And it's like, okay, which of these guys should we be most worried about? And to, to go through the four guys you have named here, I'm not worried about Claude Giroux mm-hmm. because he still looks like Claude Giroux. He's scoring. He's just not scoring as much as we want, but I'm he's creating. He mm-hmm. still looks like he doesn't look like he aged overnight. He'll be fine. You say James Henry was like 35 shots on goal. That's exactly why I'm not worried. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know what? They'll go in. Like, well, it's just we've talked about this on the show for years. Every time, goal yeah. scorers are streaky. All of them. And you know what? If a goal scorer is taking a lot of shots and getting to places where goals are scored, they're probably going to start going in. And when they start going in, they're still going to start going yeah. in, in bunches. It's, it, there's a real low per- 
percent chance he shoots like two percent. Yeah, like you know? he's like got a career fourteen percent shooting percentage. Yeah. He'll be fine. Not worried about those two. Jake and Ghost. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's what I wanted to get to. A little bit, mm. little worried, and like Jake, I'm worried because, and I'm not, like when I say worried, I'm not like trade them all. They're terrible, but like Jake hasn't been getting a ton of ice time. No. And, you know, that's a thing, because uh-huh. last year he was one of the guys. This year he's not as much one of the guys. And he said, like, look, I'm getting used to this whole, like, we have, like, I don't mean this come across as bad, but, like, we Jake, have other good players. Jake, well, it's not even that. Jake is an offense guy. And all offseason, what was the thing that Chuck Fletcher was screaming? We want to give up less goals. We want to give up less goals. Less, less goals against. The defense was bad. And Jake, I think, is adjusting to this new normal of, like, yo, you got to play defense most of the time. And he's trying to find that balance between, like, what I need to do to score and what I need to do to keep myself in the coach's good graces because they're emphasizing this defense thing. So I just don't think Jake has found that balance yet, and I don't know when he's going to. That defense thing. That defense thing. Ghost is concerning because he just hasn't looked like Ghost. Has he made one of his little pivot moves yet? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen him do the one dance move. I haven't seen him do a spin. He just doesn't look like dynamic Shane Gostisbehere. He looks like a regular old guy And it's not that he's been terrible. It's just he hasn't looked like him. Shane Gostisbehere is a dynamic player. Has not looked it so far. Two things real quick while we wrap up. Uh, First, Steph, I want to know how you feel about your beefy boy, Michael Roffel, giving away one of his goals. Angel baby. That is a king. He is a king. Does not want credit for two goals. Only wants credit for one. What a loser. That is a team player. That's a... that's a Keep Michael Roffel in the locker room because he's a team guy. Get rid of Chris Stewart. Michael Roffel's a king. (laughs) That was... I just thought... They have like the graphic on TV. Credited with two goals, only once one. Yeah. (laughs) I think think Taron Hatcher treated out that like when they were doing the next day when they were doing tape study of the of the Vegas game, that was like the first image they used. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just awesome. like cut him up. Only wants credit for one king. I, and I see this team, like it feels I don't know, like I'm not there. What was so. that what was that meme that like this is the future Democrats won or something? <laughs> 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 yes, that's exactly it. That's good. That's good. That's a good one. AOC just giving away goals. Um <laughs> Uh, it just seems like the team, I, like I said, I'm not there, so maybe Charlie will have a better read on this. It just seems like they're having more fun. Um, and something came up at practice on Tuesday. Chuck, you were there. They had the whole day dedicated to skills. Yeah. And there's this just really a cool quote. You can run us through it for a second. But it was just a good quote in the, uh, who'd this come from? This was Meltzer's story from Couturier. Uh, he says, it was a little different. My first time experiencing that experiencing that it was fun out there i guess av since he's gotten here has done a good job making sure guys are fresh coming to game time there's no excuses energy wise today was a little different just to go out there 20 or 25 minutes work on some skills and recharge the batteries a little bit to come to full practice tomorrow then come to game time on thursday this is different and i like it it's just it's, it's a morale move and working on skill is good like you need to yeah. do that. So Charlie, what happened on uh, what happened on Tuesday? Well, they just broke the they broke everybody up into four groups. They basically had, you know, the forward line and then the defense pair and they went out there and they worked with Ricci, who's a guy that, you know, Fletcher and Vigno hired in the offseason to do this sort of thing. Apparently AV's been doing this sort of thing at all of his stops. Yeah, he everyone actually, seems to like respond well to it. Yeah, yeah, he said that the whole thing kind of originated back when he was in Vancouver and it originated in a conversation with him and uh, Mike Gillis, who was the GM there at the time and they talked talked about, you know, things they might want to implement and they decided to go the skill coach route. So it's interesting. And, uh, you know, to answer your question about, you know, what's the vibe I get from the players, you know, hockey players, hockey players aren't stupid in the sense that they don't, they understand what good hockey is Mm -hmm. and they understand intuitively that they are playing good hockey right now. And when you're playing good hockey, you're feeling good. 
So right now, they're generally speaking feeling good. Obviously, they'd be feeling even better if they were winning these games. Yeah. But they're feeling good about what they're doing on the ice. They're not going into sessions and getting ripped by the coaches. They're going into sessions and the coaches are like, look, this is a great thing you did. This is also a great thing you did. Why don't you add this in there? So they're everybody's in pretty high spirits. You just want to see it turn into more wins. That's the and, and like the most telling thing when Vigneault came out and basically said, trust the process. Um, I didn't roll my eyes. I was like, no, I see it too. Like, they're not screwing up. They're Amazing. playing well. They've given up a few more goals than they should have. They're going to figure this thing out. And it seems everyone is at least on that page together. Yeah. yeah. Like Charlie said, they know they're playing good hockey right yeah. now and results will follow. Six goal explosion. I think we all saw that. Like, maybe not against Golden Knights, but. Not the, against the Golden Knights. The floodgates were going to open, and nobody ever had any mercy on us when we had a third string goalie in there. So, I was at. Such is life, Vegas. I was at an SB Nation event in DC. We were at a bowling alley, and I made the, the bar turn on the Golden Knights, and they had it, you know, everywhere the, the, the Flyers and the Golden Knights. I had <laughs> them turn on the game. And every single time that one of the Flyers scored, I'm screaming, that's my baby! And it was in front of my boss. They're all your boss babies. Boss, right. And they're all my babies. Um, to, to the point where when it was six goals, my boss was like, look at your good boys! So Steph, Magnus getting is older than you! Look at, listen, it's fine. Those are my good boys. Those are my babies. All right, guys. I think that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Not really sure what time we started, but I think it was around 07. I was late because traffic. Yeah, well, it happens. And because it's me. So that's it. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Give us those good reviews. Give us them five stars, all that stuff. My name is Bill Matz. For Steph, for Charlie, have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about it?